Hi, welcome to Apex. My name is Jason, and I'm excited to come alongside you this morning as we explore God's Word. I hope you had a good time just spending uh, uh, together with each other as we worshiped. Um, and I think that's one of the really cool things that's uh, about this time right now is, is regardless of technology, we've always, in, in the most ancient way, have had a connectivity with one another as brothers and sisters Christ through the Spirit. And so let's dive in this morning uh, into Luke chapter 15 and see what the Spirit has for us this morning. Over the course of the last week, maybe in your house churches or your huddles, you've continued to think about the parable of the lost sheep. In that story, we saw how uh, God was pursuing consistently in the most intimate ways those that were lost because he loves them. Next week, when we dive into the story of the lost son, we will see even more intimately the father's love on display for those who are both far off and for those who are near. But in this particular week, we're going to see God identify as a woman who has lost a coin. So without further ado, let's dive into God's word this morning. This is from Luke chapter 15, verses 8 through 10. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and her neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Let's pray. Father God, just thank you so much for your immense love towards us, towards humanity who, is, who has been lost and is lost, Lord, but by your love and your grace through Jesus has found us again and, and is continuing to find us. Spirit, we ask that you would be present in this moment. May we experience a, a special uh, dispensation of your love and experience of our connectivity with one another. Even though we may be separate and socially distant right now, Lord, you are always close to us. And so, Spirit, just have your way this morning. May you come in our hearts and our homes. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The experience of being lost isn't anything new uh, for anyone. It's, it's a very common shared experience. All of us, whether we've been lost in the grocery stores or, or as we're exploring this morning, deep senses of spiritual lostness. Uh, being lost is something that has been captured in the greatest of stories and movies. And here this morning as we explore this story of a woman who has lost her coin, we again are reminded of our, of our lostness towards God and his deep love that comes after us. Being lost as we look through scripture is, is an age-old story. God, in his love, went down into the earth and he, and he formed the earth into a statue, into an image of himself. And he breathed his own life into that statue, into that image, and imparting himself to the earth, giving it life, making us humanity. And, and because he knew it was not good for humanity to be alone, he, he split that humanity as he caused a deep sleep on it and formed male and female. And the two together became one. And together, 
they were all in a deep relationship with one another, with an intimacy that we often dream about with other humans and and with God and, and with creation itself. But then as we know how the story goes, we exchange truth for a lie. We exchange the breath of God for a breath of death. And we ate of that tree of knowledge of good and evil instead of eating of the tree of life. And from that moment on, we began to experience eternal lostness. And this story of lostness would continue on if it were not for a promise of God to someday send a seed of the woman who would come back and crush the head of the seed of the serpent, thereby restoring the opportunity for those of us who have been far off to be brought near. And this story of being far off and being brought near, of, of being lost and then being found, is, is a story that continues to repeat itself over and over and over again throughout the story of Scripture. Abram himself was far off and in a distant land, and then, and then God called him and his wife and their family to come down to the land that he would show him. And there Abram was found by God and became the name Abraham, the father of, of many nations, Abraham had a son named Isaac, who had a son named Jacob, who wrestled with God and took on the name of Israel. Israel had 12 sons. And those 12 sons themselves experienced lostnesses as they went from the land and and back down to Egypt. And they grew in numbers. And in the midst of their lostness, God sent his servant Moses to them to to reclaim them for himself, to to bring them out of the land of slavery, out of the household of Egypt. And then even though they were found by God again, they they didn't trust him, and they experienced lostness again as, as they were roaming in the wilderness until they could finally come home. Even in the land where they experienced all sorts of God's blessings, they lost their way to the point where where God exiled them from the land, only then to return them once again. God's love for humanity is incessant. It's persistent. It's patient. It's present. And so then when we get to this story of this woman, we we realize that, that there's a false story that is still at play that Jesus is trying to address And the false story is this, going back to verse 1, now the tax collectors and the sinners, they were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. In the midst of a narrative, in the midst of a story in which we're lost, we can often forget the story of a God who loves the lost, and instead we embrace a false narrative that has no weight or anything to do with the love of God, with the nearness of God. And instead, it's, it's keeping arms distance through religiosity, through scorn, through shame, through fear, through guilt. And so often, maybe we unknowingly embrace that false narrative ourselves. What can so often happen is that we think we don't have anything to offer a lost world. Or on the other extreme end of things, we think that we're better than the lost, and somehow their sin is worse than mine. That's exactly what Jesus is addressing here. 
he is excited to be with the lost. He, in fact, wants nothing more than that. He, he himself says that I did not come to heal the healthy. It's the sinners. It's the sick who need the physician. And so that's what Jesus is doing here. He is sharing table fellowship with those who are lost. And in fact, previously in Luke chapter 14, he says, if, if you're going to throw a banquet, don't, don't throw it for your friends and the people that already know you. Go out into the streets and bring in those who have no one, who are the marginalized, who are those who are the outcasts. And so the true story then that we have to embrace is a true story of God's immense love and identification with the lost, with the sinners, with the tax collectors. So that then our story, too, is one that mimics God, where we immensely love and identify with those who are lost. Now, to show this point even more further, in this identification with those who are marginalized and disposed by society, here Jesus likens God's love to a woman who has lost her coin. Now, in the time of Jesus, it was highly patriarchal. Women were considered less than human. And so for Jesus to liken God to this woman here, just not any woman, a poor woman at that, this is nothing new for Luke and, and his good news and the gospel that he's sharing. From the very beginning, he places women of high prominence, going against all the cultural norms, even norms that we still fight against today. Whether it's Elizabeth who is proclaiming good news over Mary as, as she has, her, has uh, baby Jesus in her womb, or if it's Mary and Martha who get to sit at Jesus' feet, or even going to the end of the story where it's women, not men, who first proclaim the good news of resurrection to a bunch of men. God identifies with the marginalized because he is in the business of making the least the greatest and the greatest the least. So that just as Paul cites in his letter to the Galatians, that in Christ that there's neither Greek nor Jew, neither male nor female, neither slave nor free, for we are all one in Christ. So in this story of this woman and her lost coin, what can we learn? Well, let's talk a little bit about this coin. This coin is, is a special coin for her. These 10 coins that she has are most likely her dowry. They're, they're what she would have that would hold all of her family's wealth. They would be given to her perhaps by her father for her wedding day. So to lose one-tenth of this, to lose one coin, would be to lose, lose one-tenth of her worth. This is something that has deep personal implications and it's the, the lostness of it. it. It has deep uh, potential future implications in the lostness of it. But it has the point where she begins to identify with this coin. And this is what, this is what she does. Let's look at what it is that this woman does as she uh, be, loses this coin. Begin going back to verse 8. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. 
Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, search carefully until she finds it? And then when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I have found my lost coin. I think that we can actually look at these kind of four steps that this woman goes through in the search for her coin. And they actually are pictures for us. There's actually a lot of really rich and powerful language that Jesus chooses here. And I don't think it's by accident because I think he wants us to know what it looks like to love and identify with that which is lost. And so the first thing that Jesus does, that Jesus says that this woman does, is that she lights her lamp. And having lit in the lamp, most likely because she lives as an impoverished woman in a home without windows, she then begins to take most likely a, a broom that she herself has fashioned out of cord and straw. And she begins to sweep the house. Getting into the muck and the grime of things. It doesn't stop her from pursuing the lost coin. And having swept the house, she still searches. She seeks after it carefully, paying attention to all the nooks and the crannies until she eventually finds it. And when she finds the coin, it's not good enough for her just to find the coin, she rejoices. She's filled with joy, and she celebrates the fact that that which was lost has been found. What a beautiful picture that Jesus is painting for us through this woman, this woman that God is identifying with as he identifies with us, his lost kids. Light isn't anything new within the story of God. And the very first uh, pages of, of our scripture, we see God creating light. His light is representative of him as he is with Israel wandering in the wilderness with the, the, the pillar of cloud by day, but it is a, it is a pillar of, of light, of fire by night, his, his glory And that's what light represents. Light represents glory. It represents presence. In the temple, they would have seven, they would have lampstands with seven candlesticks to represent God's presence by his light in that space. When Jesus came and and reflecting upon who Jesus was, John said that he was the light of the world. In fact, when we get to one of John's epistles, he says himself that God is light. And so this idea of light is, has this idea of revelation, has this idea of presence, that God begins the journey with the loss by just simply making himself known. I remember for myself, the way that I began to catch the light was through my little sister. I saw the way that God began working in her heart and he, sh- he shined his light through her. And then I was always someone who's been attuned to the natural world around me. And, and I remember looking up to the sky and just, 
going like, there's got to be more than this. And, and that eternity that was written on my heart, even though I claimed to be an atheist at the time, began to grow and grow and grow until I began to read scripture. And I saw God through his written revelation, as well as through the spirit as God began speaking to me and in the person of Jesus. One of the beautiful things about scripture is it tells us all of the different ways that God makes himself known to us through scripture, through words of revelation, through each other, through nature, and most ultimately through Jesus and the Spirit as they speak the truth about who the Father is to us. And so when this woman is, is lighting her lamp, it is, it is just as if she's filling this darkness of this room so that we can begin to see God and God begins to search for us. And then the woman goes on and she begins to sweep. So now that, now that the room has been lit up with the light of the lamp, she begins to sweep. She begins to put the house in order. You can imagine when it comes to sweeping, especially in the days before there were Dysons and, and, and zero you know, lost vacuums, uh, that dirt would accumulate pretty easily and, and pretty quickly. And especially if there's not windows in this house, as, as, as we're, we might be assuming here, that she doesn't actually do this sort of sweeping on a regular basis. So she's sweeping, and, and her limestone brick uh, house, uh, as was customary in the Jewish time, would have little crevices that she would have to get down into just in case that coin got stuck in the crevice. And so she took on this posture of kneeling as, as she got into the muck and the mire. And how true is that of God in our lives? Where he begins to, as, as he makes himself known to us, begins getting into the muck and the mire of things, and, and we desire to begin cleaning these things up. But it's not done yet. He goes beyond just beginning to rearrange the things in our hearts. He actually begins to search for us. Notice the woman, it says that she searched carefully. This word search uh, in the Greek is a really powerful word and in, in, in the Hebrew that, it, uh, uh, that it's translated from uh, is so often used of us seeking after God. Throughout the Old Testament, especially in the Psalms, you'll read uh, how the psalmist will often write about how I'm seeking after God, seeking after his ways. But what's really particular here that I think stands apart from that, it's not that we are seeking after God, but it's that God is seeking after us. In Ezekiel 34, which Mike alluded to last week with the story of the shepherd, that it was, that it was God who himself would seek after Israel who was likened to a lost sheep. It's the same word that was used in in Luke 15 last week, in which the shepherd left the 99 to go seek after the one who was lost. And so God searches after us. I love the story of the psalmist uh, David and reflecting upon his life with God, who, who he was found, but he lost his way. If you remember his story, he caught himself once uh, looking at Bathsheba in a way that she shouldn't, he shouldn't have had. 
And, and jealous of Uriah, he sent him off to the front lines to die. Being confronted with his sin, he ended up penning some of the most beautiful psalms that we have, including Psalm 139, in which he says, O Lord, search me, seek me out. And that's what God does with us, as he loves us in the most intimate ways. He lights up our world, he cleans up our mess, and he searches out our hearts. Only then for him to find us, truly find us as we are without any hints of, of being fake on our end, but just standing there prostrate before him. Here I am. I'm a coin on the ground. I'm in this position. I can't get up. And you see the woman coming down in her hand, picking up the coin, holding it, even caressing it, saying, I found it. And maybe she even reattached it to her dowry and, and put it on her head for all of her neighbors to see. And she runs into the streets and she says, rejoice with me, celebrate, because I have found my lost coin. God has an immense love for us in which he identifies with us. So much so that he actually sent his son to be just like us, to take on our humanity. So much so that as Paul remembers and recalls Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, that he says of Jesus, he who knew no sin God made sin for us so that we then would become the righteousness of God. And so what does this mean for us today? Well, first, what that means is that if you're lost, God is in the business of finding you. He is, he is lighting up the world for you to see him. He's getting into the muck and the mire of your life to begin to clean it up and sweep it up. He's searching your heart and he is finding you. And that he takes great, great joy in you as you are and as you will be in Christ. This story that Jesus tells, though, isn't just for those who are lost, it's also really good instruction for those of us. Who are found. How do we join God? How do we participate with God in this action of seeking the lost? Well, we don't do it by being jerks. And so often that's often what it feels like we sometimes do, where we're impatient, where we're unkind, where we're expecting people to come to us as opposed to, to going to them. And so if the light and the sweeping and the searching and the finding of the woman is representative about who God is and, and how he engages with those who are lost, then I'm sure that it is very much so a representation for how we are to engage with those who have been lost or are lost just like we were. And so with light, the first thing that we learn is the power of presence, 
Like we said earlier, when, when God is light, that's saying that God is with us, that God is present. And so we, as God's people, as his representative, as, as his image bearers restored in Christ, we take his presence with us wherever we go. And we engage with people where they are to be present with them. So many of us are, are hurting right now or, or struggling right now. Are we ones who are shying away from that struggle and that pain? Or because the presence of God, which gives us peace, allows us to enter into their pain and their struggle and be his presence to them? Instead of having attitudes in which we have to dominate over culture or in which we have to fortify ourselves against culture or in which we have to accommodate to culture, as my friend Amy Sherman says, we instead ought to incarnate into culture, live in the flesh with the culture around us in order to be God's presence. And then just as the woman swept, we too engage in this posture of getting, into our, getting on our hands and our knees and getting onto the ground, getting into the dirt, not running away from it, knowing that we have uh, the greatest uh, uh, cleanser of all, of all, which is the spirit in our lives, and that we get to offer that. We have a posture of humility. The way that Paul said this to the Philippians was, have this mind which is already yours in Christ Jesus, already yours, something that we already possess, that we, with that mind, are not to consider others as more important than ourselves, but we are to consider them more than important than ourselves. When he goes on in Philippians 2.5, he says, have this mind which is yours already in Christ Jesus, though being in the form of God does not consider equality with God as something to exploit. But instead, he, he empties himself. He makes himself nothing, taking on the likeness of man and being found in the form of a servant, being found in human form. He loves and he suffers to the point of death, even death on a cross. And so, brothers and sisters, our posture towards the lost is one of humility. It's one of love. And then we have patience. Just like the woman patiently searched the room for the coin, we too are patient with others, not placing or for forcing our own timetables on them, but just being with them where they are, asking questions more than we're necessarily giving answers, helping them discover how God's speaking in their lives not necessarily expecting moral perfection from the moment we begin working with them. And so we are patient, just like Jesus was patient with Peter. You know, here he is, and he's coming out of the gates running and, and screaming, and he's super excited, and then he gets on the water even, and he's really excited, but then he falls right through the water. Or even on the night of Jesus' death, Jesus is still patient with him, knowing that he's going to deny him three times. But then after his resurrection, he tells him to continue to love and feed his sheep. Jesus is immensely patient with us. And so we get to be immensely patient with others. And then we are persistent. Our 
patience and our posture produce a persistence with those who are lost. And what happens finally when they're found? Well, we get a party. One of my favorite things about this body, one of the things that first attracted me to this family here at Apex was sitting uh, just right over there. You can't see it, obviously, because you're at home, um, but with my brother. And the very first thing uh, that I experienced in this body was a baptism. And when we baptize here at Apex, we make a huge party out of it. People get up out of their seats. Sometimes there's, there's uh, uh, party toys and things like that. But we all scream and, and shout and hoot and holler because that which was lost has been found. And we're excited. And we continue the party on in, in the lives of our house churches. We, we ought to be known as the ones who bring the best wine as Jesus did at the wedding of Cana. We ought to be the ones that are, that are known as the ones who have the most fun because we are the lost who've been found and we party all the time because in heaven, God parties for us and before us. Notice what it says here. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. What Jesus is doing here is he's pulling back the curtain so that we can see what is going on in the heavenlies in which, the, in which the God the Father takes us and he says, this is which was lost and now it's been found. Let's party. And all the angels along with God party over us because we've come home. And so we too are people who have the most holy parties known to man as we bring the joy of heaven here on earth to the lost. The early church, uh, I think, is a really good picture of what it looks like to live out this presence, posture, patience, and persistence for us. You see, the early church, much in its infancy, faced a pandemic, much like we're facing today. Rodney Stark, in his uh, seminal work, Rise of Christianity, describes how in 165, uh, most likely smallpox began uh, during this time, and it swept out everyone. Uh, the, the emperor uh, Aurelius, Marcus Aurelius, uh, he was deeply affected by this. Then about 100 years ago, 100 years after that, another plague, a second wave of it came through. And remembering the first plague, mo plague, most everyone was fleeing their cities. Dionysus describes how Alexandria was, uh, the dead were filling the streets. But the Christians, while everyone else was fleeing, the Christians stayed. And they made the most of it. They cared for others. Not just for other Christians, but for those who weren't Christians. They prayed for miracles over others. They, 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 they very much, according to Stark, may have saved up to a third of those by reducing the mortality by two-thirds. Christian love and charity prevailed then, and Christian love and charity can prevail now. In an opportunity that just... Every, gener every few generations gets to see. And so maybe you're on the front lines and, and what you need to be reminded of this morning is what it looks like to be present, what it looks like to have a posture and patience and persistence, but also to celebrate the small victories. Or, or for ourselves, maybe we are getting a little bit claustrophobic 
maybe you know the enemy is telling us lies in the midst of this time what better truth to remind yourself that even though you may feel lost and isolated from society that the father as displayed through this magnificent woman has sought after us has begun to swept up the mess of our lives and has found us in Christ or maybe you're listening this morning and you recognize your own spiritual lostness and you see the ways that God has begun to shine his light upon you and begun to sweep up the mess in your life. Let him pursue you. Let him find you. Let him pick you up and clean you off and set you before the heavens and rejoice over you. Let's pray. Father God, just thank you so much for this picture of the woman and her lost coin and the way that Jesus describes your love for us through her. Thank you right now that even as we listen to this, there is a party going on in heaven for every sinner who repents, for every sinner who turns back to you, Father. And more than anything, God, thank you for making the way for us for for, for giving us the life of your son so then we may have the life of, of him in us. Thank you, Spirit, for reminding us of all these truths and send us out in this world to be your light through your presence, to have the posture of humility, to be patient and with persistence so that we can celebrate and party the way that you party over us. It's in your son's name we pray, amen.